Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, last week we took a pause from our series that we've called Text Messages as we uh, had our annual meeting and we just kind of shared stories of what God is doing uh, around here and I kind of anticipate in the future. But we're back into it today and we're looking at the book of Obadiah. So if you've got your Bibles, go to the book of Obadiah. Um, if you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. It looks like the one I've got up here. Go to page 1,447 and you will find um, the very short book of Obadiah. It's 21 verses. Uh, Brian Cadella was giving me a hard time uh, last week because the book that he's preaching on from the Minor Prophets has got 14 chapters and he uh, wanted to know how come I got the one that only had 21 verses and I told that it's really good to be the lead pastor. And uh, so, uh, but it, it, it is, a, it's a short little book. And uh, the, this, the series on minor prophets, um, they're called the minor prophets, but it, you know, their messages are relevant, they're powerful, and they're no less important than maybe some of the other books of the Bible that, um, that you're familiar with. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we're looking at the book of Obadiah uh, this morning. Uh, you may remember a little over a year ago, there was an incident in Eastern Europe. Uh, it was in Hungary. Uh, thousands of refugees that were fleeing the, uh, the war-torn country of Syria, some uh, on, on, on rafts, kind of, kind of making their way across the Mediterranean Ocean, uh, some on foot going north uh, through Turkey into Europe. Uh, the news was out that Germany had opened her borders, and there was this mass movement of humanity that was headed to Western Europe, and um, but when they came to some Eastern European countries, there was these uh, these sort of these holding areas for this great migration of people. As people try to figure, out how do you how do you cross borders? I mean, what, what, how do you get from one nation to the other nation? There was busing going on and, and trains, and um, but there was frustration that was beginning to rise among the refugees, people seeking uh, asylum and safety for themselves and their families. People have been through traumatic events, leaving uh, just destroyed homes and and families behind. And, and losing loved ones in the war. Um, frustrations began to run high in the country of Hungary in this one holding pen. And if you remember on the news, there was this, this sudden mass movement of people. They just sort of just were fed up and they were running across the border and the media were there and they were capturing the moment and there was one person that was there from the media that did the unthinkable. In fact, uh, this videographer, um, she, she behaved in a way that caused uh, quite an outrage. Uh, the video will speak for itself. Let's watch this short clip. It's a shocking video that has garnered attention from around the world. As waves of desperate migrants sprint from a holding camp in Hungary, a camerawoman appears to trip a man running with his child in his arms. He falls to the ground on top of the boy and screams in disbelief. The woman also kicks other migrants as they run, including a young girl. Now the camerawoman is out of a job. She was covering the flood of migrants for Hungary's N1 TV, a far-right station. It offers news from a nationalist perspective. In a statement, the station said the camera operator behavior was completely unacceptable. Her employment will be terminated. The station did not disclose her identity, but social media did. CNN cannot independently confirm her name, so we're not identifying her. But thousands took to a Facebook shame wall to criticize the woman they believe is responsible. And on Twitter, people vented their outrage with tweets like, 
These people are struggling for a life. You have a life, yet this is what you do? Shame on you. She is running for her life, another wrote. You are destroying her life and you're earning money for it. Is she human? And that photographer should be charged with assault. Criminal act. Criminal charges are indeed possible. There are reports Hungary's opposition parties will pursue them, which could bring a prison sentence of up to five years. The woman being shamed online has not commented. Brian Stelter, CNN, New York. You know, a bunch of questions kind of pop in your mind, and um, one of them is, like, how, how does someone think that that's okay? I mean, how, how does someone get to the point where they think it's all right to kick a little girl who's, you know, probably barely 10 years old, or to trip a dad who's carrying his son, uh, running from tragedy, and, and make him fall on top of his, his son? And you know, how does someone get there? Um, and, and, and that's one question, but also, it's, it's the response, Right? I don't know what you were feeling. I don't know what kind of emotions that you were experiencing as you watched that take place. Maybe it's sadness, maybe even a little despair. But as you saw on, on social media, that there was this outrage, um, this, this sort of this disbelief. How, how could someone treat someone else like this? There was this sort of this, this scandalous behavior that was observed, and this outrage, this emotion began, this passion began to bubble to the surface, and questions even like, is she even human? I mean, how, how can we behave this way? And if you could sort of just capture for a moment in your own heart, or so we could, if we capture that passion, that emotion, that outrage, um, it, capture it in a bottle, and if you could just hold it and, and, then, and then read Obadiah, actually, this is the same kind of outrage. This is a similar kind of emotion that God is having from a similar, a bit similar bit of a situation happening in the book of Obadiah. God, I want, I want, here's what I want you to know, that when people behave in a cold, cold-blooded and cold-hearted fashion, God is outraged. Actually, God gets hot. When people are they're stony cold or cold-blooded, cold-hearted, God gets hot. And what you're going to see here in the book of Obadiah, a little context for you. I'm going to show you another video here that we've been showing uh, these, these, these little highlights, these overviews of the books of the Bible from the minor prophets, because a lot of us, we don't know the context for it. But a quick little two-minute video that gives you a little context for what's happening when this, when this prophet is, is speaking and who he's speaking to. And what's happening here is Jerusalem has been attacked by Babylon. There's war. Jerusalem is conquered. And the people, the citizens of Jerusalem and other cities are running for their lives. Much like you saw refugees running in that little clip there. They're running for their lives and they're looking for safety. And they come to the border of a country named Edom. Which, by the way, happens to be relative. They're relatives of Israel. Um, and and what, what Edom does is the un- unthinkable. Uh, the woman's name is now out, and it's been out for, for a lot of months, um, and uh, her name is Petra Laszlo, and, and Edom actually behaves in Petra Laszlo-like fashion, and we'll detail that out, and, 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 and sort of what that means for us, but watch, watch another clip here. This is a bit of an overview of the book of Obadiah that will help us understand what is happening in this, this passage. The book of the prophet Obadiah. This is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament. It's a mere 21 verses. And at first glance, it does not look very promising. It's a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom, which was a nation that neighbored Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea. However, there is way, way more going on here. So 
First, here's the backstory. The people of Edom were unique because they had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. They both belonged to the family of Abraham, who, with Sarah, had their son Isaac, who, with his wife Rebecca, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, the book of Genesis told us the story of these two brothers, and to say the very least, they had a tense relationship. They each later received the names Israel and Edom, which eventually became the name of the families that descended from them. And these families replayed the same difficult relationship of their ancestors. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout the centuries, but they still shared that family bond. And it's that bond that was betrayed and shattered in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. So when Israel was invaded and conquered by Babylon, the people of Edom took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities and then capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. Now, in other prophetic books, God held Israel's neighbors accountable for this kind of violence. And so here, Obadiah does the same for Edom. The short book has two halves. The first part is a series of accusations against the leaders of Edom, specifically for their pride and self-exaltation. Literally, as they lived up high in the desert rocks, but also metaphorically, they truly believed they were superior to the Israelites. And it's that pride that led the Edomites to not just stand idly by when Babylon came to destroy Jerusalem, but actually to participate in the destruction. And so God says through Obadiah that Edom will be brought down from their height and destroyed. As they have done to Israel, so it will be done to them. So that's a little context for you. Um, Israel has been conquered by Babylon. Refugees are, are, people are seeking asylum. They're running for their lives. And many come to the border of Edom and they end up treating them quite poorly. Uh, they, they uh, in Petrolazo-like fashion, they, they're, they're very violent to these refugees. And, um, and what we need to understand that when we are cold-blooded, when we are cold-hearted, God gets hot and you're gonna see God's response. But before we get to God's response, I want you to see how they treated these, these folks who were in such desperate circumstances. Uh, if you look at verse uh, 10, I'll begin there, and I'll, I'm just going to highlight just six quick things that, uh, that Edom did to these refugees that were seeking safety, um, seeking asylum. Verse 10 says, because of the violence you did, you, you, you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. Uh, we'll talk about the meaning of that, but verse 11 starts detailing the violence. First thing they did, when they were invaded, when Israel was invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. Very interesting to know from the very beginning, these are, this is a list of, a, of a violence done against Israel, and the first thing on the list is inactivity. You did nothing. You, you just watched it all happen, and, and God calls that violence. Interesting. Uh, second thing he says is, you should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. Some of you did nothing. Some of you actually gloated. You actually delighted. A smile came on your face as you saw the destruction that was being experienced by these people as they were running for their lives. Third thing you'll see in the second half of verse 12. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. 
Some did nothing. Some were delighted to see the demise of Israel. And the third thing we're told here is that some actually began to speak arrogantly. They began to mock Israel. They began to, to joke about the tragedy. They, they began to, to develop riddles and sort of downplay and to, and to put down these people who were running for their, their lives. That was the third thing that Edom did. Fourth, you'll find in verse 13, you should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. Some did nothing, some had a smile on their face, some uh, told jokes, some actually from Edom left Edom and went into the villages, went into the cities, went into Jerusalem that was destroyed by Babylon and actually looted and took, took plunder from these cities. These folks who have virtually lost everything are now losing more because the neighboring country of Edom is coming over and they're ransacking them. They're taking advantage of these people in their experience of calamity. Fifth thing you see in verse 14. You should not have stood at the crossroads killing those who tried to escape. Well, it began with nothing. Then it began with delight. Then it moved to joking and mocking. And then it went to looting. And now... It, and now now they're killing refugees. Like bandits hiding on a trail, the Edomites were hiding out at the crossroads and when people were running, from, running for their lives in such, a, such tragic events, and bear, bear in mind, Israel brought this on themselves. The, the, their sin actually got them to this place where God was gonna exile them to Babylon, but God is also taking note of how people are treating them along the way. And some of these folks running for their lives are actually cut down and murdered. The sixth thing on the list um, that has got God hot, end of verse 14, you should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. They're, they're actually taking people, maybe, maybe kind of luring people in, oh, find safety here, and then turning around and betraying, behaving in a traitor-like fashion and turning them over to the Babylonians for the Babylonians to do with what they will with these people from Israel. They, they are, they're behaving in such cold-blooded, cold-hearted, such cruel way. And friends, when people are treated in cold-blooded, cold-hearted way, God gets hot. And the agony and the anguish that's being experienced by the people of Israel, the psalmist captured the moment. Psalm 137, verse seven, put it up here on the screen. This is Israel shouting to God, oh Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. And the Edomites, instead of being a place of refuge, for, for their own family, if you trace back the, the genealogy, instead of being a place of safety, it ended up being a place of indifference, doing nothing, a place of delighting in their demise, telling jokes, looting, murdering, and betrayal. And friends, when people act in cold-blooded and cold-hearted ways, God gets hot. His passions begin to be stirred 
And he is going to respond. He, he's going to, he, there's going to be a response of God toward, toward Edom that, that's pretty strong. Um, but, but before I, we talk about that, that response, let's just get back to this question of how does someone get to the point where it's okay to behave in Petrolazo-like fashion or Edom-like fashion? How does someone get to the place where they think it's a good thing to trip a dad who's running and carrying his son? Or they think it's okay to, to kick a 10-year-old girl? Or they think it's okay to loot uh, the the homes of people who have already gone through such calamity and, and, you know, the list goes on. How does someone get there? And Obadiah, right from the very beginning, as he's delivering this message from God, tells us how the Edomites got to this place where they thought, at that list I just worked through, how they thought that that was actually acceptable. And verse three of Obadiah tells us, it says, you have been deceived by your own pride. You've been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. If you've ever been to the Middle East or you've ever uh, looked at the seven wonders of the world, one of those wonders happens to be a place called Petra. Um, it, it, it literally is uh, an old city that's, that's made up of, of the homes and buildings are carved into the rock. And, uh, and, and if you're ever there, you can, you can go there and you can see these, these empty buildings and it's, it's pretty amazing. And what's amazing about it is it's actually some several thousand feet above Israel and you can actually look down on Israel and that's exactly what Edom is doing. Literally, where they lived, they looked down on the land of Israel. And metaphorically, they looked down on Israel. And why did they look down? Because they felt superior. Because they felt, you know, look, look at us. Look at, look at our fortress. Look at, look, at, look at the wisdom we have expressed in, in protecting ourselves. Who could touch us up here? Look how powerful we are. And this is the deceptive whisper of pride. Look at our achievements. Look at our bank account. Look at our artistry. Look at how intellectual I am, how brilliant I am, how gifted I am. And when that happens, slowly but surely, this fertile soil from which pride can grow grows into this monster. Grows into this point where you actually think it's okay to treat people in cold-blooded and cold-hearted fashion. And the scary thing about pride is, is that, you know, I don't know what was going through your mind when you watched that video of that woman who was kicking uh, you know, kids and tripping dads. But, but what I, here's what happens is sometimes we see that and we go, uh, man, I'm, I'm so glad I would never do something like that. Do you know what you just done when you say that? You just said, I'm superior to that camera one. I would never do that. And that's the soil from which the pride loves to grow. Uh, this, this, this whole deception of pride. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, a theologian, captured what was going on in Edom and the, and the hearts and minds of the, of the Edomites. He's describing them and says, they were the very embodiment then of practical defiant godlessness. We just hit the pause button there. Edom, actually, they didn't worship, they obviously didn't worship Yahweh or Jehovah. They didn't even worship other false gods or idols. They had no gods except self. That was their God. And Morgan says that they were the embodiment then of practical defiant godlessness expressing itself in the deification of self and the conviction that self was sufficient and that the fortresses it had made for its own protection were enough to protect it against all opposition. 
We got it going on. Israel, they're, they're getting you know, they're getting what they deserve. That, that will never happen to us because we're superior to them. We've got the fortresses, we've got the power, we've got the control, we've got the alliances. We're smarter, we're more intelligent. And this pride actually grew to a level where they began to act in, in cold-blooded and cold-hearted fashion to the refugees, to the people who were seeking asylum that were coming to their borders. They treated them in such brutal fashion. Their pride led to their downfall. I, I, I define pride this way. I just put up on the screen. Pride is the basic cause of a lack of accountability to others. I can do what I want and you can't stop me. I'm better than you. And this is our primal sin. The prideful live and act as if there are no consequences because they believe they are above them. This is the insidious nature of pride. Starts out small. Uh, you know, I, I, may, I may not be that great, but at least I'm better than them. And yeah, they're a little bit better than me, but, but you know, I, I'm just, just, just small seeds of self-righteousness or moral superiority begins to rise in us. And what happens is when that, that soil is cultivated, pride begins to grow and it grows up into this monster and it becomes this ugly thing. And if you look in history, you see these major markers in history where people behave in cold-blooded and cold-hearted fashion. You see Edom, you look in history like World War II, you see Nazi Germany, you look today, you see ISIS. And it all grows from the self-deception that comes from pride. And again, the scary thing is, is we look at the Edomites, we, we look at Germany, or we, we look at ISIS, and we go, so grateful I'm not like them. And what we are doing is elevating self and saying that they are, they are, they are not superior to us, we are superior to them, and actually that then tills the soil of our own self-righteousness. Pride, the, the deception of pride is, is so insidious, it's so sneaky, it whispers into our ear a titanic-like confidence and says to us, you are unsinkable. And when people behave in cold-blooded and cold-hearted fashion, God gets hot. And we see his response. Verse two of this short book, the Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. Verse four, but even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. If thieves came at night and robbed you, parentheses, what a disaster awaits you. They would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor, but your enemies will wipe you out completely. This is what God is saying to them. You know, a, a thief breaks into your house, steals your TV, at least you got a couch. Or in, in the tradition here, when you, when, you, when you do harvest, you leave a little bit on the trees, you leave a little bit on the ground for the poor to come and glean. And, uh, but here's, here's what's gonna happen to you. The thief is gonna take everything. You're not gonna have anything left in your house. The fields are going to be bare. I am going to wipe you out completely. Why? Because God's hot. He's outraged at the cold-bloodedness and the cold-heartedness of the Edomites. Verse six, every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. All your allies will turn against you. They will help you. They, they will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while plotting to deceive and destroy you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you and you won't even know about it. 
At that time, not a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Edom, says the Lord. For on the mountains of Edom, I will destroy everyone who has understanding. The mightiest warriors of Teman, now Teman's a city in Edom, the mightiest warriors of Teman will be terrified, and everyone on the mountains of Edom will be cut down in the slaughter because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. Friends, Edom is gone. There there is no Edom today. And at that moment, they were living the high life. At that moment, they had all the power, they had all the control, and uh, and you can see how that power and and that that control was lived out. And when people behave in cold-blooded and cold-hearted fashion as they're deceived by pride, God is outraged. He's hot. But, you know, this is thousands of years ago. This is, you know, multiple centuries ago. But what, what has this got to, to do with us today? I mean, we're, we're talking, this is, you know, some nation doesn't exist anymore. And, um, and, and, and Israel, you know, is getting what it deserved. And, um, but how, how could this relate to us? It's November 2016. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving is just weeks away. And Christmas is just a month away. And what, what, is, what is this speaking to us? And actually, what is speaking to us is something that's incredibly relevant for us today. It's incredibly relevant in every generation. It's, it's this deceptive nature of pride. And, and so what we need to do, what we must do, is guard our hearts from cultivating this, this toxic, toxic soil of pride, of, of the superiority complex, or, or looking down on others so that we'll feel better about ourselves, or we actually get to the point where maybe that pride grows, where we behave in just outrageous behavior like, kicking little girls and tripping dads who are carrying their sons. And, and so we want to make sure we guard our hearts, and one of the ways we can do this is simply by cultivating humility. It's, it's one of the ways that we could take the message that God has given to Obadiah and apply it to our lives here today, Salem, Oregon, month of November 2016. 9.30 service, in case some of you didn't fall back last night and you think you're at the 11 o'clock service. We need to cultivate humility. And this is really counterintuitive. You see, uh, the writer of Proverbs, uh, chapter 16, in, in Proverbs, the writer says these, these words, better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. Now, I read that verse this week, and I thought, is that true? I mean, I know it's in the Bible. Is, is that really true? It's better to live humbly with the poor? I mean, poor don't have resources. They, they, don't have, they don't have money. They, don't, they, they can't go on these, these great vacations. They, they, they can't afford a smartphone. I mean, they, they can't afford to eat at that restaurant. I mean, they can't afford to live the high life. And how can life be better living humbly with the poor? The, the writer of Proverbs, the wisdom writer, is not talking about life is better today. He's actually talking about ter, the ter, tra, trajectory of the, of the life you're living. He's not saying, you know, oh boy, you know, it's better because when you get to enjoy all of it, you get to live the good life. And yes, it sure seems like those who have resources get to live the good life and sometimes the expense of the poor. But um, but what what the, the wisdom writer is saying is it's better to live humbly with the poor because the trajectory of humility is is so different than the trajectory of the prideful, which the writer, the wisdom writer, picks up in chapter 29 of Proverbs when he writes these words. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Again, we have a hard time believing this. 
But the destination of, of, of the prideful, it actually, the end is humiliation. The end is this incredible humbling. That's what's happening to Edom. And what God is saying is that humility, the destination for the humble actually is honor. But we have a hard time believing this. Because we, 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 see, we see people living the high life and there's something attractive about that. And, and what God is calling us to is he's calling us to live humble lives and to cultivate this humility. Now, now how do we practically do this? Cultivating humility. How, how do, if this truly is the destination, if living in humility leads to a place of, of, of honor where God will honor us, how, how do we practically do this? And, and the first way I want to suggest to us is simply by getting a read on our own pride. We, we need to get a read on our own pride. See, one of the best ways that you can protect yourself from pride is to say to yourself, I am prideful. And if you cannot admit that you are prideful, then you are prideful. <laughs> right? We, we all know this. And what we do is, well, yeah, well, okay, I may struggle with pride, but at least I'm not as prideful as that person. <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> we, we need to get a read on our pride. You, if you were here in uh, last January, we did a series called uh, Love Handles. We were just talking about love, and we were, I was preaching on 1 Corinthians 13 and, and defining what, what love is. And if, if you were here, you may remember that I, I took 1 Corinthians 13, which is the definition of love, and I put it in the first person, and I, and I gave that definition to my wife, Trina, and I said, I want you to read this, and I want you, just to, I want you to pick out a sentence or two or a definition or two where you would say, yeah, that, that's, that's describing you well. And then what I want you to do is I want you to pick out a, a word or two, a phrase or two, just cap it at two, of, of, of ways that this, this actually this does not describe me. And if you were here during that series, I talked about that, and I said to you, do you want to know what Trina said um, was, was the words that didn't describe me? And I told you, I'm not telling you. <laughs> Which then told you, right? It, it was pride. It was this tendency to, to boast. And she's the, this, is, this is the one area. Friends, we need people. That, that we're friends with, that, that love us but aren't impressed by us, to speak into our lives, speak truth and love, and help us get a read on pride because pride, the end destination of pridefulness is humiliation. So what we need to do is make sure that we have an accurate reading of, of our hearts so that we can cultivate humility and, and grow like our Savior has called us to grow, to be like him. So that's one practical way. Here's another practical way, quickly. It's to show mercy. Showing mercy. I mean, obviously, Edom did not show mercy. That video clip we started with, that, that was not an act of mercy. One of the ways that we get to display humility is simply by looking into the interest of others. And I just ask you, who, who are the people in your life that you could show mercy to? Obviously, we, we, last couple weeks, we talked about the refugees that are coming to Salem and Kaiser. We're gonna have a lot of opportunities to show mercy. 
But here's what happens when we show, we show mercy. Something happens to our hearts. A couple ways we can show mercy. Yes, we can give of our finances. We certainly can do that. Many of you sponsor children. Many of you, you give um, to help provide you know, housing or shelter or food or you know, clothing uh, to, to folks. And that, that's an act of mercy. And actually, God's word tells us that wherever you're, whatever you, you give your money to, your heart will follow. It's this funny thing. That when you buy something or you invest in something or you give to someone that your heart suddenly is engaged and you want to know more about what's going on. And so finances, yeah, that's, that's, that's a way to, to grow and to become more merciful. But probably the, the more powerful, transformative step that you could take is, yeah, yeah give a finances, but give the gift of time. You see, when you sit down with someone who's language, first language is not English, and you act as a tutor and you engage with them and you help them understand a language, you're giving a gift of time and what happens there is relationships begin to form and you begin to care, you begin to get involved and something happens to you. Or someone, uh, maybe, maybe a refugee comes and you teach them how to drive and, and that's a wonderful gift. Or, or maybe uh, you're, you're, you're just showing mercy uh, by, by, by giving the gift of, of, of showing somewhere to shop because they, where they can get good deals on groceries so they can make their dollar kind of stretch a little bit farther. Uh, there's a lot of practical ways to show mercy. But what happens when we show mercy is we take, we take focus off self and we place it on someone else. This changes us and protects us from being cold-blooded and cold-hearted. Because when people behave in cold-blooded and cold-hearted fashion to people who either are oppressed or refugees, or if frankly, it can be a neighbor, it can be someone at work, God gets hot, he's outraged. And this great reversal is about to take place for Edom. It's captured in verse 17. It says, but Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. Wait a minute. They're, they're being exiled right now. And God, what you're saying is that actually Jerusalem's gonna be a refuge? Looks like a mess right now. I guess there's a great reversal coming. Jerusalem will be a refuge. Verse 18, the people of Israel will be a raging fire and Edom a field of dry stubble the descendants of Joseph will be a flame roaring across the field, devouring everything. There will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. When people behave in cold-blooded, in cold-hearted fashion, God gets hot. Now here's the tension. We live in a ladder-climbing culture. We live in a culture in which the higher you go up this, the, the more significant you feel. The higher you go up the ladder, the, uh, the more value you have, the more power, the more, the more powerful your voice is. Some of you may remember that um, I used to work for United Parcel Service. I started working for them when I was in college and I worked a shift, an early morning shift from two in the morning to like eight in the morning. I put packages in the package cars that go around and, and deliver those, uh, the drivers that go around and deliver those packages. And, um, and I do that, then I go to my, my college classes, which explains my grades in college. Uh, that's another story. Uh, I was pretty good at that. Uh, people noticed that I was pretty good at that. Um, and so I got promoted and I became a part-time supervisor. I supervised other people who put packages in the car because I was pretty good at it and I could, I could show them and I could teach them how to get better at it. And people saw that I was a pretty good part-time supervisor and they noticed, they noticed me and, and I got another promotion and I became a package car driver. 
I drove one of those brown cars, the package cars around, and I delivered packages in San Francisco. Um, and I, I, was, I was pretty good at it. My boss noticed and saw you know, the speed, the accuracy, accuracy the customer service, and um, I got promoted. I became a supervisor of package car drivers for UPS in San Francisco. And I was in this one, this one division, and that division was pretty successful that I was a supervisor in, and, and I was pretty good at it. People noticed, um, and, and, and I got promoted, and I got promoted to industrial engineering. And, um, and I was pretty good at industrial engineering, um, and I got another promotion, but I'm not standing on the top of this ladder. <laughs> and I became a manager. I was 23 years old. And I, was, and I was on top, or close to the top. You know what's interesting about being on top? You look down on other people. That's what Edom did. Look down on Israel. They climbed up pretty high and felt pretty powerful. And that's, that's, that's the culture we live in. The higher you go, the more important you are. The more value you have. But it's completely the opposite of the kingdom culture of our God. Listen to how Paul describes the kingdom culture in Philippians chapter two. It's not a culture of ascent. It's actually the opposite. It's a culture of descent. Philippians two, verse three. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross." One author has captured this attitude of Jesus as in this phrase of the way up is down. And, and that's counterintuitive. Yet that's the culture of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And, and if we will see that the way up is down, then when we see people who are in distress, when we see people who are hurting will protect ourselves from behaving in prideful ways that does terrible things, cold-blooded things, cold-hearted things. And we won't experience the outrage of God, we will experience the warmth of his heart as he says, those are my kids. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.